Hey everybody, this is Illiterate. My name is Evan. My name is Taylor. I read a book this week. I watched a movie this week. We are covering Books of Blood. It's brand new. This is an anthology horror film directed by Brandon Braga, um, who we'll bring up later. But most importantly, it's based on Books of Blood by Clive Barker. Who From you the mysterious of. mind of Clive Barker. Yes, the the horror mastermind. Some some would say, uh, but he's up there with in the likes of like Stephen King, Tobe Hooper, you know, uh, John Carpenter, all of the horror masters. So he is on the on a bit of an upswing as of late. This is just lesser known, so we thought maybe this would be and this and an would odd, be fun. Yeah, and an odd piece. I didn't know anything about Clive Barker at all. Yeah, neither uh, did I. I mean, I've seen a couple of his movies. I've seen Nightbreed. I've seen Hellraiser. He's one that I that I need to see more of. Well, and a so, lot of well, we'll talk about the controversy and the gruesome nature and why that appeals or does not appeal to people. But what he's his angle is on it all, because obviously things don't hold up if it's just shock, right? You know, exactly, that doesn't last. Exactly. So what? So there's more to it as far as the film, like you said, Brandon Braga, odd in the sense that he is known for serialized television star trek he did the next generation of star trek. <laughs> yeah uh yeah the show 24 this is all the stuff that he's produced allegedly clive barker helped him on this and i say allegedly just because it's like it's mentioned here and there that they worked on things but a lot of people theorize that maybe they he wrote this stuff himself and then just sort of got a loose pass on sure you can do this the the framing device the books of blood is what is clive barker but the other stories are not clive barker anything perfect yeah i didn't even know that he had written a book you know he he, he <laughs> right. he's in a he's in the filmmaker realm for me like i said he's up there with carpenter and tobe hooper and wes craven and all those guys it's a ton of short stories that he that are involved in so it's just odd that for this take on it and we'll talk about how many movies are actually based on a lot of his short stories and and novels and cool. whatnot but it's weird that they would make an anthology movie about using the title of the book that is the compendium of short stories, the books of blood, and then not even use any of them. Right. So that's the criticism is that's like, well, this really isn't like his work. And it's like, well, cause it's not, it's this guy who did star Trek. Interesting. interesting who's interesting. writing this okay. stuff. And it was originally set as a TV series. And now it's this odd netherworld in between film and TV where it's a film. Right. There is another show that has just come out called monster land, which is based on, North American Lake actually, Monsters, which is right, a short story compendium. Yeah. <laughs> and it's a horror thing and it's an anthology and it's very much in the same vein. And it's like, well, maybe because they knew they were doing that and that was going to be right for Prosperous. Who knows? But anyways, knows? that's what that yeah. is. And so I thought as far as looking into Clive Barker, then it seems like maybe this is a, a dud or a misstep. Why is it worth discussing this? And I found that's more than just the shock and horror and what yeah, he what, to the you know, every, you got to have something to bring to the table in, in the genre. You can't just do the. It's like an act. You can't get up and do somebody else's jokes and stand <laughs> right. up. You know, so or so, you can't just do a werewolf or a mummy like we've seen right. all that a million times. So what is he saying? Yeah. So Clive Barker. Here we go. He's written over twenty novels. He has three short wow. story collections. He's also done fourteen plays, and he's written twelve films eight of which are based on the Books of Blood series. He's also okay. done many, many comics and three video games. So all across mediums, as well as he's an illustrator and painter. He has hundreds of paintings. How many, how many, and then how many films has he actually directed? Uh, only a couple. 
That's fascinating. I had no idea he had such a breadth of, of work in other mediums because I mm-hmm. definitely think of him as more of a filmmaker. Yeah, um, he's first in four novels. Right? You know, like yeah. that's totally otherworldly to me. <laughs> like I, I'm like would have never guessed. He's known as one of the major players in what they call the splatter punk movement, which came about in the 1980s, and that's the more gruesome, gruesome, <laughs> visceral stories. Right. Okay. Okay. You know, but if like we said, if that's all there was to it, wouldn't be a legacy to it. Right. So we'll talk about the Books of Blood when it comes up in his life, but I would like to kind of go into the cultural context and how. For sure. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So he was born in 1952, which makes him 68 years old now. Okay. And he is British, grew up in Liverpool, England. And I, when we talk about early life, I specifically remember talking about Stephen King and people are always wondering with these depraved stories, like is the person depraved? We talked about how Stephen King as a kid saw his friend get hit by a train or something Mm -hmm, like that. mm -hmm. And there's an instance in Clive Barker's life, he was three years old, and there's this famous French, almost like evil Knievel guy called Leo Valentin, and it was a huge crowd in Liverpool, and he was doing this wingsuit thing, and he just plummeted to his death, and the parachute didn't open. No! And he actually, Clive Barker alludes to this in some stories. And, you th- you know, people like oh. to psychoanalyze these things. I, I looked into it further and actually a 14-year-old Paul McCartney and a 13-year-old George Harrison were also there oh, of the wow. Beatles. And it's like oh they didn't God. write. They didn't write depraved. Right. They became the Beatles. Higher artistic output. That's incredible. But then that also the the imagery there strikingly echoes uh, important imagery from the film. Uh, Falling death is, is integral to the plot. It's interesting to look at and say, oh, maybe he was twisted from the beginning. But it's also funny to see. It's like, well, there were thousands of other people there, including the Beatles at a young age. And they didn't go on to write these dark. Right. You know, yeah, it's not everything. (laughs) He loved theater in high school, was unfortunately bullied as a kid for being Mm. gay. Uh, Mm. His folks wanted him to do something practical. So he studied English at Liverpool University. And in sort of an FU to them, he also studied philosophy because he's like, they think I'm going to become an English teacher, but I'm also going (laughs) to study this thing that has no value whatsoever. And funnily enough, his picture is now at the entrance to the philosophy department of Liverpool (laughs) University. So keep all that in mind. He has this very strong, you know, thinking background. He's got gears turning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) And then I mentioned all those plays. So right after school, he co-founded this avant-garde theater troupe called The Dog Company. He's 26 years old. He did that for five years. He wrote nine plays there along with some other shorter one-act things. He directed a lot of them, made some short films as well, is doing drawing and painting, kind of like a consummate artist in this time. This is where a lot of the people end up becoming the people that he uses with film. So Doug Bradley is the character pinhead in Hellraiser that you mentioned before. They, they worked together in this theater company. And everybody was saying in these interviews that he was so determined. And instead of people being like everybody else, it was all a bust. You know, the, the nobody came. The show sucks. Everybody uh, you know, is upset. Everybody yeah. else would say, what are we doing wrong? And Clive Barker would be like, why aren't they getting it? What aren't they seeing? It wasn't. Yeah. The, it's not necessarily that we're doing anything wrong, but how can we change it? Because we have a, a purpose and a vision for this thing. Yeah. So that, after all of the theater stuff, he shifts his focus to writing this collection, Books of Blood, a lot of which he'd already written because he's doing all these sorts of artistic endeavors. 
and the background for this book, there was a book that came out in 1980 called Dark Forces, and it was more of a literary high-minded take on horror. It was an anthology of horror, 23 original stories Uh, from various writers, one of which, this is the first time we see Stephen King's novella, The Mist, in this Ah, book. Okay, okay. And so this very much inspired Clive Barker because it was treated with some sort of literary merit and not just junk on the shelves. Interesting, interesting. So The Books of Blood, what this new movie is based on, it was six volumes, came out in 1984 and 1985, each of which contained four or five short stories. And I read the first volume. Okay. Um, and I think, the, just to explain kind of what it is, the first volume definitely has the most diversity in terms of the subgenre of horror. Really? And that's really, he, he doesn't even call himself horror or anything like that. He calls it the fantastic style of writing <laughs> because he doesn't really want to be tied into fantasy or sci-fi or horror or just beyond what we are experiencing, but as if it was in now. So the three examples that I give of stories in in the first volume, Midnight Meat Train is about this serial killer and this guy's following him, but then there's this whole other occult conspiracy going on in the subways of New York. I believe that uh, it might be unrelated, but I believe that it has its own own movie. (laughs) Yeah, we'll get, we'll talk about all the movies. (laughs) Cool. I'm like, it has its own movie. Okay. Yeah. See, and I had no idea that was even a Clive Barker idea, you know, Mm -hmm. like that was totally out of, out of my mind. So I'm like, Oh, I'm like, is that even, Oh, is that just something else using the same title? Yeah. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, that's his thing. Yeah. That's that's definitely it. There was another, so that's one which we think, Oh, that's going to be a serial killer slasher thing. And then it ends up being something else completely different. There's a, a, a almost comedic horror. The, the next one is called The Yattering and Jack. And it's the Yattering is this demon that is charged with this guy who cheated death. And so this demon is trying to get at this guy, but he just can't because the guy is unrelenting and just says, well, it is what it is. And just like, there's this horrible thing where he's possessing all this stuff. And eventually he beats the demon and the demon has to become his servant. But it's very silly. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, another one, this was my favorite of all of them, and it's called In the Hills, the Cities, and is more of this imaginative, grand, epic, gothic kind of horror. And and the premise being there's these two cities in Yugoslavia at the time, and all of the people have this ritual every 10 years where they literally form a giant person out of themselves using ropes whoa, and wire whoa. and connecting to each other, and oh each all of them become the sinews and the and the muscle and everything, and then they do battle against each other, all under the... <laughs> the I know. It's, it's incredible. Oh my God, that's terrible. <laughs> it's horrifying. I'm surprised that nothing... This is one of the ones that has not become any other piece of media except for a comic book, which I'll post uh, in the show notes a link to, because the artwork that the guy does john bolton for this thing that john came out bolton. in the 80s well not that john bolton <laughs> <laughs> but this came out in the 80s it's just insane but i was just riveted by it and it's all the sub premise of it is it's this gay couple who are having their honeymoon and they're not sure mm-hmm. whether they want to be you know this one is that but then there's this whole other thing going on in the countryside that they're visiting and one of the oh, cool. yeah, one of the yeah, creatures yeah. is not strong enough and it falls and just the whole town they they come upon because they take a wrong turn and it's just thousands of people decimated and somebody from the other the town that couldn't be a part of this monster because they were watching is just shooting them trying to like because they're all writhing oh and dying in, yeah, the, yeah, yeah, in the yeah. field just this crazy crazy story like i said in these volumes all of these stories are just a different type of horror entirely you'd be like okay uh now my i'm interested to see if any of the core idea of what it felt like was in the film the film kind of revolves around this idea that uh, one of the stories, a guy is pretending to be a medium for spirits on the other side, 
and he ends up playing with playing with the magic too much and ends up actually becoming a real medium and it turned his whole body is like the book uh, right. where all these people are, are getting to tell their stories through him because he wanted to be the medium. So that's kind of the core piece for the film where it all kind of gets tied into there in some way somehow mm-hmm. so is what of is there any what that of is that? at the beginning yeah that is like okay. the prologue to the first volume and then it becomes like here are those stories dear reader if you dare to to read what, them so what was the woman like because i that was definitely the, and we don't even get to this part until about, about dead middle of the movie do we get to the woman actually discovering the medium um, it got me invested in, in what was going on there. And it was about the, somebody who understands she's walking into a manipulative yeah. situation. And I thought that was particularly interesting. So I was just trying to understand how, and, it, and when, as soon as I pulled on the thread, is this of Clive Barker? Yes, that's of Clive. And, <laughs> yeah. and now I'm like, okay, well, how much of it is? <laughs> that's, yeah, no, all, that's, that's all that's, that happened. That's exactly how how it's framed. It is about this person okay. who's trying to research this stuff. And it's this guy who says he's a quack and then the ghosts actually use him for the real thing. And so that's right. that's how it's set up. So that that is very much the same thing, but odd that none of the other stuff is. Okay, so all. I mean- that's interesting, but it seems like the rest of them are definitely of new creation, just original, mm-hmm. original spur. Questionable how much he was involved in. Yeah. Interesting. So, so here's here's the traits then, if we could boil it down and say what's different between him and Stephen King, because it, it might not sound like there's much, or him and H.P. Lovecraft and that kind uh-huh. of thing, since he's doing all of this random stuff, different stories all over the place. So I would say his main traits, he writes in an intellectual sort of cerebral style. So it's much higher prose than Stephen King. Mm. That's like a big thing that Stephen King is known for. It's like, well, this is easy to read. This is a quick, you know, page turning. I mean, he still has the page turning, but it is much more literary. And if you listen to his interviews, the way yeah. that he speaks, it's like, oh, that makes sense. He uses bigger words. He <laughs> constructs his sentences this very carefully. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. And then the other thing would be uh, the balance of the terrifying, and then I think, and a lot of people maybe think so, of the the dark humor, maybe even funny stuff. It's like it's so absurd it could be perceived as oh, yeah. okay. tragically funny or just like people building themselves into a giant person. Like there's something – odd even whimsical like just it's it's that idea as soon as you said it was so like visceral to me Mm -hmm. it's like this like shedding of self to assimilate and i went oh my god that's like so anti-human in in so many (laughs) in so many ways that like that is unnerving on its on just that thought like you saying that and i might have like a shiver go down my spine it's weird it's it shows he's like hey i can do something completely different with horror and then when you're talking about here oh i have this person assembling into something but it isn't human he is also the third thing I would say known for is the metaphors in his story. Like he spends Mm -hmm. a lot of time coming up with this. It's either about society or morality or politics. And some of them are a little bit more overt than others, but most of them, it it is a great allegory. So for example, there's one Mm -hmm. in another volume of the books of blood called the body politic. And it's about how this guy's right hand and left hand actually have sentience and they're enemies and they're trying to cut each other off, which is of course a political allegory. Right. But just that's how, cool. how that's those really are the cool, kind of, actually. What, yeah, that's, that's what you can always say. And like we said, with, with all of the ones that I mentioned, you could, you could figure out what they might symbolize in a larger way. Right. Um, right. So he blasts out six volumes of this in two years, makes waves on the American cover. It says, I have seen the future of horror. His name is Clive Barker, Stephen King. Wow. And, uh, wow. yeah. 
Wow. Stephen, and, and Stephen King's been around for 10 years now since Carrie came out in 74. So he mm-hmm. knows the horror scene. So let's let's go into now the He's controversies. Knighted. He is yeah. ordained. But <laughs> along with that comes the problems, conversation around his work. Here's all the things that people say. It's grotesque. It's graphic. It's base. It's cheap thrills. People are going to copy this stuff in real life because it's so uh. grotesquely written, all this stuff. There's an amazing interview I'll post. This is where a lot of it comes from. It was from a uh, British TV show called Open to Question, where these people interview him, and you can hear how articulate and his great British accent. But I I just kind of run down all of those problems that people have with it and Mm -hmm. what his rebuttal to it is. He says he's an inclusionist. He's like, I try to take on as many eclectic influences as possible. So Mm. just for example, he's like, my nightmares, people ask me, like, where do I come get this from? And he's like, most nightmares are universal for people. Like he's read Jung and Freud and the collective unconscious and is not, oh, I'm such a unique person that these things Right. So people most people are afraid of, of like very similar things. <laughs> These things. Yeah. So he's like, <laughs> also, he mentions a ton of different writers, artists, Goya, William Blake, the poet C.S. Lewis. Like he's not ignorant of right. the well legacy read. of, well of literature. And he he got his degrees in English and philosophy. His favorite novel is Moby Dick, which now we know about his themes. He's saying that Melville could occupy the metaphorical and the real state simultaneously. It's not about a white whale. It's about ego. You know what I mean? But it's a whole novel. Right. It's, it's, but it's both. It's, a, it. it's a story on both levels. So yeah. that's why that's one of his Man, favorites. we need more of it, man. I, I like, we need more of that type of thinking, man. Every, every more yeah. stories need more, more ahas. By the time you get to the end of it, you go, and that was all about my relationship with my dad. Huh? Right. You know, like, <laughs> well, that's what people ask him. But do you believe in the occult and ghosts and demons? He's like, I don't believe in any of that stuff. It's a <laughs> metaphor for something else. <laughs> right. And he actually criticizes. He's like, I don't like the Jason movies, the Friday movies, these mm-hmm. psycho slashing teenagers, because he's mm-hmm. like, what is that symbolizing? It's literally just that. That's right. not all my stories, with one exception in the books of blood, have some sort of supernatural or fantastical motives. He's like, I'm not trying to glamorize it. I'm just trying to make them a clear metaphor for something else, which is so funny that he has to explain that. Sounds like it would be like an excruciating interview. Just like, okay, (laughs) no, it's great. Like what scares you? He's like, yeah, a world hunger, you know, (laughs) you know, like it wouldn't be a normal (laughs) dude. Yeah. And so then that goes into, he's like, people are like, well, how do you feel about children reading it? And he's just like, bad. I wouldn't want <laughs> It's not We're talking about loss and regret. Yeah. <laughs> and it's funny because now that we know, he's like, one of the reasons I write with a complex vocabulary is for that reason. It's not very simple. It's not for a six-year-old to read. And anybody he's like who- begging you to think about it. Yeah. He's like screaming through whatever whatever the piece is. He's screaming through it for yeah. you to please think about it. Think about it, and just go like, "Oh wow, that's yeah. a scary zombie!" You know, whatever mm-hmm. it, whatever the well, not, thing yeah. is. It's like and it's not, a, it's, not a, it's not just a, because it's striking or uncomfortable. It's like what? Why? Mm-hmm. Why is he using that? Why did he use it then? Yeah. What about it? <laughs> And not to, he doesn't debase Stephen King at all, but he's just saying in terms of the the content and the audience, he's like, Stephen King has 10-year-olds, 14-year-olds that come up with it and ask him to sign it at his conventions. He's like, I don't have any kids. My signings never have children at them because that's not who I'm writing it for. They're too busy like turning their heads at the pages and then putting it down. (laughs) Yeah. It's too (laughs) metaphorical. Yeah. I wouldn't want a kid to read it. That's not who I'm selling it to. 
So then people are, he's also like, oh, I would hope that they're on the same page as me and being We're like, all adults act. here, aren't we? <laughs> Basically, yeah, that's what he's, he's saying. Screaming for somebody to like and then in a, in understand a, what he's doing. In a similar uh, way of, of respect, he's like, I don't like the term fan. The people that come up to me about my books, he's like, I call them readers if possible. And then mm. he's all, mm. he, he even prefers the term co-creator because in a film, he's like, well, you're just watching it. But you're, when I'm giving you something to read and you're reading it, you're bringing so much more of yourself into it. I would hope that I you would that. be co-creating it with me, which is just also a humble way of going about it. That outlook is beautiful. And then, yeah. And then lastly, people then are like, do you like the grotesque stuff? If you're, if it seems like you're trying to do something else with it. And he gives an example. He's like, when Jeff Goldblum's ear falls off in the movie, The Fly, super grotesque. Mm. He's like, that's one of my favorite moments in cinema. And then somebody in the audience is like, well, would you like to see a road accident? Would that make you thrilled to see? And he's like, of course not. And that's exactly the point. The vicarious experience is the important one. And then even, I wouldn't ever even stage a road accident in a movie because that's not interesting to me. I want to show mm. the, I want to show Jeff Goldblum's ear falling off because that wouldn't mm -hmm. happen. You don't become a fly. That's right. the point. So just just destroying this audience in a very respectful way. <laughs> now it makes sense why he's got a bigger purpose. Right. So then he goes into film. And like you said, that's what you know him for, which that's is crazy. Yeah. <laughs> Hope he'd call me a reader. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So he wrote screenplays for Underworld, which was a movie that he had based on something he had done, Rawhead Rex, which came out in 1986, and he was so displeased with how it ended up coming out to be mm. missing all of the subtext and, oh, and everything no. he's trying to put yeah. in there. So he, then he's like, well, I'm going to make something and direct it and do everything. He's like, what could we do for a million dollars? And this is the movie Hellraiser, which is probably what he's there most known for, based yeah. on the novella. Now, of course, it's 10 films and just a whole mess, Massive but he yeah. sold off on the first one, not selling out, but he was just like, we didn't know what we had. We wanted to make something. And now right. he gets nothing for it and doesn't, has no rights to it and can't decide <laughs> what to do. And that's why there's 10 of them. Yeah. Um, heads up there in the, in like the universal monsters. Like, exactly. <laughs> He's yeah. just like faded into that. It's like transcended almost. It's like beyond Clive Barker's reach. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But he's okay with it. He's he's working through yeah, all this other yeah, stuff. Yeah. And and just talking about the movies, just from Books of Blood, just those short stories that he started out with, the Yattering yeah. and the Jack, the demon that can't curse this guy, was in a TV show, Tales from the Dark Side. 1992, the film Candyman came out, which is based uh, on The Forbidden. And there's a new one that's going to be coming out. Yes. Now it's been yes. delayed so it's much. It's been but pushed that's, back, but yes. That's huge. Lord of Illusions came out in 95. The Body Politic, the left hand, right hand was in an anthology movie that came out in 97. Oh, man. And I then, had no idea. Yeah. All these were, were Book of Blood movies. This yeah. Is crazy. Midnight Meat Train, which we said, of course, came out yeah. in 2008. And that was actually Bradley Cooper's big break before The Hangover, right after right. that, he did The Hangover. And so right. <laughs> it gets lost in obscurity, but he was the main guy in that. And then there was a movie called Book of Blood that came out in 2007, which also is based on that encompassing premise of the prologue and epilogue to it. Oh, cool. Oh, ooh, I might actually go check yeah. that out because I, re I was very, 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 very interested into the, in the themes that in the were premise, gonna, yeah. in, that, in that premise. I just thought that knowing that that is integral to the other film as well, then I'm yeah. going to check that out. So, so just a million of them. And then, of course, now this film is on Hulu. HBO announced a Hellraiser series 
Yeah, yeah, they're they're working on another Hellraiser. I think yeah. they're trying to reboot it the same as Halloween. I think mm-hmm. the same the same people yeah. are trying to get that going again. So so tons of stuff, and then it just. Beyond all of that, oh, what about all his other stuff? He's a prolific visual artist, so he often illustrates his own books. He said he, oh, enjoy- yeah. he, he gets pleasure in a place where words mean nothing, which is his paintings and whatnot. He has literally hundreds of wow. paintings. He has art gallery establishments that have been done with all of his works and whatnot. And then a couple video games and comic books as well that he's been involved in. I didn't realize because he had said in, in one of these interviews as, as we're going along, he's like, I've never been terribly interested in going to a movie and coming out and saying, huh, let's go get a pizza. He's like, I want <laughs> to feel something. And once in a while, it's okay if it's discussed because that's what a lot of people just say, oh, he's the gross guy. Um, right. <laughs> but his work evolved alongside and with that. And so as it grew, he has more fantasy epics. He has even children's literature. Weave World oh, is man. one of them. It's a more optimistic book. It's about triumph over these things. There's also The oh. Thief of Always, which he illustrated. And then this whole Aberat series is a children's series, which Walt Disney Productions was under, but then creative differences, of course, because they want to do a million other things with it. Clive Barker is so wildly multifaceted. I'm, I'm like, I'm turning red. <laughs> this is like, this is, he does so much that yeah. I never had any kind of like any concept of at mm-hmm. all. Like I knew he like did some other stuff, and he was like generally an artist. But <laughs> right, wow, yeah, this is this is a body of work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> One. Well, so the other, the, the last thing we'll talk about, which maybe is why you're like, I never knew all this stuff, is the last movie that we mentioned was 2009. It's like, why? where is the 10-year gap or 11-year gap? It's 2020 right. now. Watching these interviews, at a certain point in 2008, his voice had become more gravelly and coarse. He mm. smoked cigars. Oh, he he no. said he doesn't do yeah. drugs or anything like that. People are always like, well, crazy imagination. He's like, no, I want it to be in my control not in the control of mushrooms. So, But it looks right. like he's aged so rapidly. And then there was an article from December of 2008. He had polyps in his throat. And the doctor oh. was like, you're only getting 10% of the air you could be getting. So they had to have this surgery. He quit cigar smoking, but now he has this gravelly, scratchy voice oh, from that. And then a few years later in 2012, he went into a coma for several days because he had gone to the dentist. They were doing some surgery and there's this a weird thing called toxic shock syndrome where yeah. if you're doing yeah, a surgery and usually it's like a strep bacteria, but it's whatever you're working on. If the infection because of the surgery gets transmitted into the bloodstream, it becomes poisonous and just takes over your whole body. And that happened to him. He went to the dentist and then Jesus. woke up 12 days later in the hospital, not even knowing that he had passed out or gone unconscious. He was trying to pull the tubes from his throat. He thought he was dying. It was just horrible. He thought, oh, I only have a short time to live. So he was trying to write this last novel, Deep Hill. Also had had talked a lot about, you know, stuff that he wasn't necessarily proud of in his past. He was in the time of all of this prolific writing stuff. The money still wasn't coming through. He became a male prostitute, felt like a fake in that time because he was like, here I am doing all this stuff on the side and acting like I've got it all together with my career and life and everything. Mm. Um, With all of this, fans speculate maybe there's some other illness. Of course, people are entitled to their privacy, so I don't care about any of that. But it's just he he looks 20 years older than he is 
because of the past 10 years of, of his health and what happened. So he hadn't posted, he hadn't posted anything at all online since 2018. And it was just like his, you know, agent or his estate or whatever, keeping people with various posts. But then last week he's like, Hey, I'm back. Literally. That's like (laughs) what he wrote. Hey guys, I'm back. So deep Hills, that book (laughs) that he had. Yeah. (laughs) You already know who it is. But the book that he said he was writing on his deathbed is coming out soon. He had also written a novella called The Mercy Mercy and the Jackal that's coming out, a new short story collection with a bunch of short stories. And then he has been very interested in poetry. And so he's written a collection of poems that are also coming out in the next couple of years. So he's just back on the grind. God. God. At it again. And of course, painting and doing all the other million things that he does. Wow. I had no idea how much. How much. How yeah. much Clive Barker there was. Uh, this is fantastic, uh, and I and I see even just in the the film that I'm that I was able to watch last night that this wasn't just some sort of gore fest. I mean, it's yeah. perfect for a spooky October night, one hundred percent. It's graphic and it's uncomfortable, but this is again. I'm so interested in like the themes of that one particular story, mm-hmm. and and it is the themes of somebody who would prey on grief that I'm in, I'm like that is particularly yeah interesting and how that could get turned around. What happens if you are the perpetrator, somebody preying on grief? So it's not they're not mm-hmm. just out there for the slash and the fun and the gore there's a time and place for that as well but he is so much more about the shining a light on the skeletons in all of our closets mm-hmm. um, i had said i had come up with i had said to myself clive barker seems horrifyingly thoughtful yes perfect yes yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll leave it at that yeah. <laughs> horrifyingly thoughtful thank you yeah. taylor thank yeah. you so much this is wonderful thank you guys for listening this week please reach out to us on instagram at illiterate pod you never know what we're going to do for an episode uh so throw us your suggestions uh thank you so much and keep it here for next week we will catch you then.